You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our spiritual journey to God. Hello and welcome, dear pilgrims, back to Middle-earth, and I hope today finds you well. Now, in our previous episode on Narnia, it was aimed to sort of set up a personal encounter with Jesus Christ through Aslan, the great kingly lion in C.S. Lewis's stories. Well, today is also about a personal encounter, but with a different figure in our faith. Indeed, through the many female leads in The Lord of the Rings, I want to introduce you today to meet the Virgin Mary. What's exciting is that the content of today's exploration actually intentionally draws from Tolkien's own Catholic faith. He once wrote to a friend that, and I quote him, The Lord of the Rings is of course a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision, end quote. And then when a Jesuit friend once wrote to him regarding how Mary like so many of his female characters were, Tolkien replied, I think I know exactly what you mean by your references to Our Lady, upon which all my own small perception of beauty, both in majesty and simplicity, is founded. Wow, that's pretty high praise for Mary. Now, this is not at all saying that characters like Galadriel or Eowyn are meant to directly symbolise Mary or be a caricature of her. No, Tolkien's genius is that he is able to infuse, if you like, his faith across many characters and themes in The Lord of the Rings, so much so that Catholicism permeates his work, saturating every part of the story in it. As philosopher Peter Kraft once commented, it's actually hard to name what isn't Catholic about The Lord of the Rings. It makes up such an essence to the story that it almost becomes imperceptible. Maybe a little like how Jesus is so much in the essence of the Eucharistic host that he becomes imperceptible. Profound. I want to begin today with a momentary pause as we first ask Mother Mary's prayers for us listeners this episode. What better way to learn about our mother than to invoke her very presence with us? So if you know the words to the Hail Mary, please feel free to join in with me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today I'm going to be focusing on three key women in The Lord of the Rings. Lady Galadriel, Eowyn, and a third mysterious character you'll just have to wait and see. Each of these three women, however, are unique and like light shining through a crystal, will capture for us a different shade of Mother Mary's beauty. So yeah, the first lady that we'll explore is Galadriel. Tolkien describes her as the beautiful elven queen of Lothlorien Forest, the mightiest and fairest of all the elves that remained in Middle-earth. 
you may be interested to know that the etymology of the name Galadriel means glittering garland, hearkening perhaps to the woman crowned with twelve stars in the book of Revelation. The fact that Lady Galadriel is very beautiful is well documented by all the characters that meet her, including the gruff and earthy dwarf Gimli. But this detail is no accident either, for Mary is without sin, immaculately conceived, and hence would have been flawless in every single way, the crowning glory of God's creation. Therefore Mary's beauty is not just earthly, but also heavenly, and Tolkien goes to great lengths to describe Galadriel's beauty as ethereal and otherworldly, a beauty which casts a light upon Lothlorien, for which human language had no name, and made Sam feel like he was inside a song. So it goes for the beauty of Mary, and indeed all the saints, whose holiness positively radiates from them and basks the world around them in God's light. As I once heard suggested, maybe this is why our artists paint halos around our saints, to capture something of this radiant light. Among many Marian traits, the Lady Galadriel acts as a powerful intercessor for the Fellowship's journey, just as Mary is of our earthly journey. Galadriel, as it were, extends her mantle of protection across the whole Fellowship and aids their quest in many ways. As a starting example, when Frodo and Sam are parched and exhausted in the middle of Mordor, Sam cries out, If only the Lady could see or hear us, I'd say to her, Your Ladyship, all we want is light and water. Just clean water and plain daylight. Better than jewels, begging your pardon. This prayer of Sam is soon granted, and a ray of sunlight suddenly leaks through the ashen clouds of Mordor. And then, the sound of trickling water tickles the ears of the parched hobbits. Encouraged and refreshed, the hobbits are then able to edge closer to their goal at Mount Doom. In another example, before leaving Lothlorien, you may remember that Galadriel bestows upon each member of the Fellowship a gift that is fitting for their mission. I find it interesting that her gift to Frodo was a glass phial containing the light of the star Arendil. This is because two of the most ancient titles of Mother Mary are Star of the Sea and Morning Star. Mary's mission is always to guide weary travellers to her son, just as the stars of night guide weary sailors back home. Remember, Mary knows what it's like to lose the presence of God and be shrouded in the darkest of nights for three whole days. Hence, when the light of the world seems to have gone out in our lives, we can turn to Mary's light to be our guide. Likewise, we know that both Frodo and Sam use Galadriel's glass file during their darkest moments, when all other lights go out and at the hour of death. This same file is used to resist the evil of the ring at Minas Morgul, and for slipping past the Watchers at Mordor. And if all of this isn't Marian enough, Tolkien even manages to give Galadriel a Marian apparition moment, where she appears to Sam while he is in Shelob's lair. Just as Mary apparates in places like Fatima and Lourdes and Guadalupe during times of our greatest crisis, so too does Galadriel appear to Sam during his. Some of us may remember that on the 13th of May, 1981, there was an assassination attempt upon Pope John Paul II. Some have suggested that this event was to fulfil the third secret of Fatima, in which a bishop in white was prophesied to be slain among many martyrs. But the bullet that was fired at John Paul II took a miraculous route through his body, 
narrowly missing every major organ and artery. The Pope very quickly attested that this was due to the guiding hand of Our Lady of Fatima, whose feast day was actually the 13th of May, the day he was shot. Later on, Pope Benedict XVI would reflect on this incident by saying, quote, The mother's hand that deflected the fateful bullet only shows once more that there is no immutable destiny, that faith and prayer are forces which can influence history, and that in the end, prayer is more powerful than bullets, and faith more powerful than armies. Arguably the greatest gift Galadriel and the elves bestow upon the fellowship is the gift of Lembus bread. If you've seen the movies, Lembus are those simple, plain-looking wafers that are wrapped in green leaves. Now, ever since The Lord of the Rings was published, many commentators have seen parallels between Lembus bread and the Holy Eucharist, not least Tolkien himself. How? Well, first of all, it was Mary who first brought forth the bread of life from her womb as a gift to the world. And likewise, it was Galadriel who first brings forth this precious and sacred elven bread for the feeding of the fellowship. Secondly, Lembus bread is called way bread by the elves, hearkening to Christ who is both the way and the bread of life. Like the Eucharist, Lembus is pretty unsubstantial and ordinary tasting, and yet in the words of Tolkien himself, Lembus had a virtue without which they would long have gone and laid down to die. It fed the will, and it gave strength to endure, and to master sinew and limb beyond the measure of mortal kind. This could also be a beautiful description of the Holy Eucharist, whose real strength doesn't lie in its quantity, but in its quality. For it feeds and nourishes the spirit in a way that ordinary food just cannot. Okay, we now move on to our next female lead in The Lord of the Rings, Eowyn. Pale, slender, and with golden locks that tumbled like the sunlight, Eowyn is a lady of Rohan, niece to King Theoden and sister to Eomer. Tolkien describes her as young, faithful, and beyond fear, and when King Theoden was about to be slain by the Witch-King, she was one of only two souls who remained by his side, a bit like Mary and John at the foot of Jesus' cross. Now, if Galadriel had embodied something of Mary's maternal role, then Eowyn embodies Mary as the warrior queen. And mark my words when I say, Satan hates Mary. Indeed, the devil particularly fears Mary because Genesis foretells that it is through her offspring that his head would be crushed. Remember that Satan is the proudest of all creatures, and hence is extremely humiliated at being defeated by a woman, a lowly handmaiden at that. I like how Tolkien calls Eowyn a lowly shield maiden, because I think it echoes Mary being called a lowly handmaiden. Anyway, the theme of crushing the serpent's head is as relevant for Eowyn as it is for Mary. Those of you who know your scriptures will remember that when Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth greets her by saying, Blessed are you among women. But did you know that this greeting itself is hearkening back to two other women in the Old Testament, women who crushed the heads of Israel's enemies? <laughs> Firstly, there is Jael in the book of Judges, who drives a tent peg through the head of Sisera, the Canaanite general. Yes, a tent peg, you heard that right. And then, in the book of Judith, we have the Hebrew widow Judith, who beheads the Assyrian general Holofanes while he is asleep in a drunken sort of mess. Both these women were called blessed among women, and therefore 
both foreshadowed the role of Mary in the defeat of the enemy of enemies, the serpent himself. And her weapon of choice? Her humility and obedience to God. But back to Eowyn. You may remember that during the Battle of Pelennor Fields, King Theoden is gravely wounded by the Witch King, who was mounted upon his fell beast, that thing that looks a bit like a dragon and a serpent tied in one. But just before the Witch King could finish Theoden off, Eowyn bravely positions herself between the fell beast and her beloved king. She is at this stage dressed as a man-soldier, and the Witch King taunts her, saying that no living man may hinder me, without realising that, of course, Eowyn is no man but a woman. Taking off her helmet, she raises her sword in readiness. Then, as Tolkien describes it, she does not blanch, maiden of Rohirrim, child of kings, slender, but as a steel blade, fair yet terrible. A swift stroke she dealt, skilled and deadly. The outstretched neck she clove asunder, and the hewn head fell like a stone. A.K.A. she cuts off the head of the fell beast, and with a little help from Mary, then plunges her blade into the witch king's face and vanquishes him. This defeat turns the tide of the Battle of Pelennor Fields and restores enough hope for the good people of Middle-earth to fight on. We know, of course, that the ultimate victory would come through Frodo and Sam destroying the ring, but the victory of Pelennor Fields cleared the way for this last chapter to take place. Like Mary, Eowyn's role in salvation, while not absolute, nevertheless paves the way for the ultimate victory, one that would be delivered by her son when he rose from the dead. Perhaps some of us today feel like poor King Theoden flung off his horse and paralysed by the enemy's relentless attack upon us. Take courage and turn to Mary, Queen of Heaven, both fair and terrible. Invoke her aid and know that just as Eowyn stands between the Nazgul and her king, so too does Mary stand between the devil and yourself. Hear Mary declare to the devil something of the same words that Eowyn said to the witch king. You look upon a woman, Eowyn I am, Eowyn's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone, if you be not deathless, for living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you'd like to be notified by email every time a new episode is released, hop onto the website at themythpilgrim.com to register. And now, that third mysterious Marian figure in Tolkien's world is in some way his most direct reference to Mary, and yet at the same time his most veiled. Most people who have only seen the movies and not read the books will probably not even recognise her at all. Nevertheless, at different moments during their quest, the hobbits suddenly find themselves invoking a mysterious figure in a mysterious language, crying out, O Elbereth Gelthonio. In Book 1, Frodo finds himself crying out these words just before he is stabbed by the Morgul blade upon Weathertop. And in Book 3, Sam also cries out these same words just before his battle with Shelob the spider. But who is this Elbereth Gilthoniel? In Tolkien's very extensive mythology, he tells us that Elbereth is the elven name of the goddess Varda, 
one of the most revered creatures who helped the godlike Iluvatar create the world. The elves actually gave two names to the goddess Varda Elbereth, which means Star Queen, and Gilthoniel, meaning Star Kindler. For it was her who created the stars that the elves so greatly revere. And it was also her that created the star Erendil, whose starlight was contained inside Galadriel's glass vial. Some of you may know that the stars have a role to play in the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. The arrangement of the 46 stars on Mary's tilma, her cloak like thing, actually coincide with the star constellations that would have appeared over Mexico City on the morning of December 12, 1531. This was the morning the image first miraculously appeared before Juan Diego and the astonished bishop. An event which started the rapid chain reaction conversion of the South American peoples, ending the cult of human sacrifice and so much more. Mary, like Tolkien's Varda, is truly Star Queen and the Queen of Heaven. If you've seen the movies, you may also remember Frodo mutters something rather strange and almost inaudible just before he raises the light of Erendil against the spider Shelob. He cries out, Aya Erendil, Elenion, and Kalima. Translated, what Frodo mutters is actually, Hail Erendil, brightest of stars. Sounds just a little bit like Hail Mary, full of grace, doesn't it? One last fun fact. Did you know that Tolkien tells us that the date that Sauron's ring was actually destroyed was March the 25th? Why is this significant for all you Catholic nerds out there? Because March the 25th is the feast day of. Mary's Annunciation, the day Mary said yes to the angel Gabriel, and the day the eternal word first became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So, I really hope this episode has enkindled within you a greater appreciation for Mother Mary and Tolkien's genius in general. The timing of this episode could not have actually been more perfect for myself, as I've just finished a powerful novena to Mary, undoer of knots, imploring Mother Mary for the gift of my own repentance and the grace to undo a particularly big knot currently in my life. Writing this episode alongside that has given me such a renewed love for my Heavenly Mother, but she is also your Heavenly Mother too, your mother. So spread the word. As usual, if you found this episode helpful, please pass it on to your family and friends and church circles. And if you're listening to The Myth Pilgrim on podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, I'd be super grateful if you could rate the show, give it five stars, and maybe even write a little review for it, as all of this helps other people find the show and to further this ministry. I want to take this time to also say a special thanks to all the folk from Keys of Peace, for which I owe the beautiful piano rendition of Salve Regina that's been playing this episode. I will leave a link to their channel on the show notes and on the website. For the practical pilgrim exercise today, consider how you can deepen your love for Mary's prayer of choice, the Rosary. No prayer is as devastating against the kingdom of darkness as the Rosary, something Padre Pio calls the sword and shield against Satan. But just as importantly, there is no surer path to holiness than the path Mary took, the way of humility. Praying the Rosary daily fosters a greater humility in us, firstly, because each mystery moves us away from the focus and love of ourselves towards a focus and love of Jesus. Also, 
praying the rosary itself is already confessing that we need help in order to actually truly follow Jesus, and we enlist Mary alongside us to guide us. Mary's entire life was to lead us to her son, so we can be pretty confident that if we pray as she implores us to, our love for Jesus will also blossom. Amen. Mother Mary, pray for us. Okay, guys, journey forth, take care, and God bless.